I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I always feel a bit kind of clumsy when I'm trying to fill shoe balls. Better to have somebody to hold the balls for you. It is. Hello to all of our listeners and welcome to the final episode of our special series of the Bake Down podcast. You're listening to Emily, one of the hosts for the Bake with a Legend virtual classes, and I'm joined by former Bake Off contestants and the real stars of this podcast, Howard Middleton and Jane Beadle, to reflect on the Celebrity Bake Off series for Stand Up to Cancer. And we're joined by another very special guest today, the lovely Karen Wright. Welcome, Karen, and thank you for joining us for our final podcast of this special series. Thank you, Emily. It's absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to uh, to having this chat. Well, it's lovely, Karen. Thank you for joining us because we've I've missed you. Hey, it's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a while, yeah. And Howard, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I have to say, Karen, uh, Emily says you are lovely, and you are lovely, and you look very lovely as well today. So, well done for coping. Uh, coping with, with the, the lockdown hair. <laughs> If you listened to our podcast last week and you follow us on social media, you'll know that we held an Easter webinar last weekend with Jane making banana and chocolate galettes with mini egg ice cream to raise money for Stand Up to Cancer, an amazing charity supporting cancer research and the cause behind the celebrity series of the Great British Bake Off. Did you join us for that webinar? If you did, thank you so much for coming along and for helping us to raise so much money for Stand Up to Cancer. And if you enjoyed Jane's Bake Along webinar, why not have a look at the full-length classes we run with an assortment of Great British Bake Off stars, including Jane, Howard and Karen. We have a huge variety of classes to choose from, such as Karen's delightful Frasier Gatto taking place this Saturday, the 10th of April, Jane's Fruity Rum Bar Bars on Sunday, the 11th of April, and Howard's Fluffy Crumpets and English Muffins on Saturday, the 17th of April. And as a podcast listener, you can get 10% off any class booking by using the special promo code PODCAST. Right then, on to the fifth and final episode. And what an episode it was. Paul, Prue and Matt were joined in the famous tent this week by TV and radio presenter Annika Rice, Girls Aloud singer Nadine Coyle, Paralympian and TV presenter Adi Adepitan, and comedian John Bishop as they competed to see who would impress the judges and be crowned star baker. Karen, Jane, Howard, first of all, let's hear your thoughts on the celebrities this week. I mean, I thought they were all great this week. Annika, 
I remember it was always on our telly and she is incredible. Actually, if anybody has time to go back and look at Annika's story, she has blagged her way through life. She is phenomenal. I love her. She used to throw herself out of, well, not throw herself out of helicopters, but she's a real go-getter, but not just on the screen. She forced her everybody to have her as a TV presenter and do whatever. So it's well worth going back and listening to or reading about what Annika's done. We don't see too enough of her these days, I don't think. Still looks amazing in a jumpsuit. John Bishop, I mean, we, we love John Bishop. He's hilarious. He says all the things that really I ought to say in real life and are too nervous to. Addy, I've, I've seen several times and, and I just love, I just like the, the whole... Uh, chemistry between them all this week I thought they were lovely and Nadine oh god doesn't she look beautiful she hasn't aged a jot I don't know how old she is but she looks absolutely gorgeous I thought it was lovely I thought a really good choice for the final yeah it was lovely Karen what did you think yeah, so well, I, I, you know, I'll echo what Jane said there. They were absolutely fabulous I, I, I really enjoyed it the whole thing and John Bishop you know, I, I think he's another one of those people that you could just meet anywhere and get on with. He just seems, he's just an ordinary guy but, and funny and gorgeous, don't you? I think he's really good looking, never mind, never mind Paul Hollywood <laughs> and, and that. I think he's lovely. Uh, Annika, well, yes, she's a bit ditzy, isn't she, you know? <laughs> she's always been like that, just full of energy. And, um, yeah, she's gone on to be a, an artist, now, you know, she obviously has a lot of talent and, uh, you know, really, really good. I think she's superb. I'm not, I've not heard of Nadine before, you know. I've had, I've had to ask. Um, but um, it didn't matter because she was a beautiful, natural, soft and gentle and funny girl, gorgeous. Ade, didn't they do well? I thought he was fantastic, you know. Such a lovely face. So welcoming and happy and joyful. Yeah, they were, it was lovely. Really enjoyed them all. Oh, lovely. Howard, what did you think of our celebrities this week? I thought it was a lovely group. And I think generally across the whole five episodes, we've had so many people who've come into the tent and just been so excited about being in the Bake Off tent, so keen to, to actually bake. And I think this week was no exception. I just loved Annika's energy, just the fact that she was so thrilled to be able to to do something. I suppose we all feel a little bit like we've been locked down for so long that to be able to go and meet people and do a bit of baking uh, in the Bake Off tent must be absolutely wonderful. Thank you for all of your comments. I totally agree. I think it was a really lovely mix for the final episode and, uh, and I was looking forward from the beginning to seeing how they all got on in the tent. So for the signature challenge, the celebrities were given two hours to make eight highly decorated shoe buns. They had to be equal in size, baked perfectly and with a delicious filling and decorative topping. Priya described shoe as a magical pastry and Paul specified that he didn't want to see any flat, rubbery, pale, burnt or soggy shoe. So he wasn't asking for much. Howard, what did you think of the signature challenge? Yeah, I thought it was a lovely, a lovely challenge. We do quite a lot of shoe buns. I certainly have done quite a few on classes with Bake with a Legend. But yeah, I, I agree that it's it's tricky sometimes to get that balance right because you want a shoe bun that is crispy enough to be able to withstand being filled. Um, but at the same time, you don't want it to be so burnt that it's unappealing. Thanks, Howard. Jane, what about you? Yeah, I thought it was a really good challenge. I thought it was a tricky one for non-bakers because we've seen bakers on the main series fail spectacularly with shoe um, and, and they would have practised their bakes. So for these guys to turn out some pretty decent shoe, um, I thought they were fantastic. Really slightly tricky challenge and they they did an amazing job. I like shoe. We all do a lot of shoe, don't we? You should always go into the tent if you are anybody's thinking of applying to the main series. Shoe is one of those things you really need to master. And anybody who turns up to the tent and and gets it wrong really has only got themselves to blame. But these guys, fantastic. 
absolutely fantastic lovely actually I really wanted to eat some of them yeah they did look delicious any thoughts from you Karen I didn't realize did they not practice the signature bay then do we do we think they just went in and did that for the first time yeah I think so (laughs) well they did amazingly well (laughs) oh well you know that uh, that puts a a completely different element to the whole thing I thought they were great anyway I thought it was a, a brilliant challenge and show I think she's right about it being magical. I know that when we've had our our bakers in classes and they have a peek through the glass window of the oven and see the shoe rising, it is so thrilling. You know, it really is. And I didn't notice any of them letting out the hot steam with a skewer. Do you always do that? You know, when they bake, I always immediately let the hot air out. Nobody did that. But they didn't deflate. Nobody had a, a flat one, did they? No, none of them no. deflated. No. I, I always say, though, that even if people suffer from a little bit of a flat shoe, you can you do what I call a bit of taxidermy. <laughs> so providing it's, it's split, you can bring it back to life with cream or whatever. <laughs> you can and fill it up. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, John started the challenge by saying he'd be using eggs from his own free range chickens at home. And he opted for an orange liqueur creme patisserie filling with a classic dark chocolate topping. Annika had a bit of a disaster to begin with and needed to make her shoe pastry again. And she went for a sticky toffee pudding filling with ginger icing and added that she was going for a creative presentation, which turned out to be a painter's palette with different colours on top of the shoe for the paint and an amazing portrait of Paul to accompany it. Before we move on to Nadine and Addy, I think we have to talk about this. What did you think? I thought it was a a very inspired decision. I thought it looked great. Well, it was fabulous. Absolutely. I mean, if you hadn't had them on the palette and just on a plate, I don't think they would have looked as appealing, those sort of colours. You know, we're not used to that, are we? You know, blues and things. But as dollops of paint on the palette, I thought it worked really well and it was quite inspired. And of course, you know, doing a portrait of Paul Hollywood, you know, was that brownie points or something? Because it was fab, wasn't it? She's she's very talented. She is. I wonder whether he took it home and framed it, possibly. <laughs> Jane and Howie, did you have any comments on, on Annika's presentation before we, we move on to talk about the others? Well, I, I like Karen, I thought it was great. And once it was on the palette, it completely made sense. Yeah. It, no, I thought she did a fab job with that. Uh, the painting of Paul, I think she made him look quite a bit younger. Though he was well, you would, though, wouldn't you? you would. that <laughs> the picture of Dorian Gray, that was an Oscar Wilde book, wasn't it? And he got younger and younger and younger as the years went past. So, yeah. Yes. There was a softness about his yeah, face. Well, look, that, yes, he'd got a very wistful look. Yes, he had. And that is wished. not the normal look. <laughs> I, I think I've dreamt sometimes about Paul's wistful look, but uh, <laughs> not seen it in real life. I, th- I, th- I thought it was I thought it was lovely, Annika's palette. I thought it was great. I suppose if I was really, really being picky, the only thing that I would criticise is that you wouldn't have guessed what the filling was from the way that it was presented. So the idea that it's got a sticky toffee pudding filling and even ginger icing, the the actual presentation of it didn't give you any sense of what the flavours might be. I agree with that. I agree. I was waiting for them to cut into the shoe and see a a dark, you know, what you'd expect from a sticky toffee. And, yeah, it it was completely normal, like cream to me, but... Mm, It did. I think what would have been the icing on the cake Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) (laughs) would be to have made that... Palette out of gingerbread. <gasps> oh Ooh. yes, clever. Uh, yeah, that one's that's a good idea, isn't it? Not a bad idea, is it? It's not a bad idea. For, um, you know, if you're making something for an artistic friend for a birthday present or something, you know, a cake of a different kind. Thank you, Jane. 
That's all right. Write it down. I'll send the bill. I'll send the bill. Nadine decided to be a bit more adventurous and go for a coconut and lime creme diplomat filling with lime icing and toasted coconut flakes for the decoration. And Addie chose a salted caramel cream filling and salted caramel glaze. So we've talked about Annika, but what did we think of the other celebrities? Karen, I know you make a lovely creme diplomat in your Frasier cake Mm. class. So I don't know if you want to speak about Nadine's failed creme diplomat. Yeah. Why did it fail? I mean, it's it's hard to, whenever I've had anything go um, belly up with a creme diplomat, it's, it's as if you're mixing the two elements together when the custard's still warm. It can't, you know, it doesn't work, but it's just mixing a bit of, whipped cream through the custard isn't it but she did make me smile when she said uh, something like I'm done with this diplomatic stuff diplomatic <laughs> it's like the diplomatic service <laughs> I thought that was um, that was funny uh, yeah my, my I, I for the phrasier I actually had a little bit of agar to the custard which firms it up to, to keep really? it yeah for, for the phrasier where you need it to set relatively quickly and it doesn't turn out like rubber either Oh, can I have that recipe? Yeah, then? yeah, it's, it, 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 it works so well, and of course, it's good a bit of agar because it's it's uh, vegetarian friendly, yeah. which you can use in your in your gelatin, what you'd normally use gelatin for. So that's mm. that's what I use for that one because you want it particularly uh, firm. But no, she um, she gave up with that, didn't she? In the end, she didn't go down the diplomatic route and mm. <laughs> stayed with the the, the creme pat. She did. Was it a Cocktail on the beach, coconut and limes. Mm. Isn't it funny how some some flavours grab sort of float your boat and some don't? That's not a, a combination that would attract me. I have to say. It depends what it's in. I I wouldn't think naturally think of putting that in chew pastry, but coconut and lime I would love. I did a coconut and lime citrus pie on our series um and i love those combinations but i wouldn't put it in shoe pastry no. it's funny isn't it it's just, yeah i think it's a lovely combo so thanks karen uh, john completely messed up his creme pats he had completely the wrong consistency where did he go wrong with that i don't know what happened with his creme pat. Oh, it was really think, thick uh, and the stodgy that oh, was it, it. Was. Yes. yes he boiled it and boiled it yeah. and, and it was like plasticine or play-doh yeah and I think I think what he'd also done is he'd once he'd got it to quite a thick consistency, then chilled it down. It's, he seemed to spread it onto a, a a tray and then chill it in the fridge. So the chilling process is obviously going to give it more solidity as well. And then attempting to put that into shoe buns was uh, was always going to be a bit of a. a mm of a trial that's really. what lettuce baked down isn't it I mean, yeah that's right yeah but they looked lovely his his uh, his bake they did they were lovely and even, even a large and very, yeah nice big buns <laughs> big, big balls bun. of shoe big balls of shoe who sang that one <laughs> <laughs> i mean if anybody does do that with a, a creme pat and it, it will go quite solid you know like leftover custard will go very solid in the fridge as long as it hasn't got a skin on it, you can whisk it up and actually bring it back to some sort of life. Yeah. But he just scooped it straight into a bag and tried to pipe it as it was. So if he'd just got the whisk out and given it a good sort of couple of minutes with an electric whisk, it probably worked. What did we think of Addy with his salted caramel that he was making from scratch? Any comments on that from any of you three? Well, I, I thought he was quite brave, but of course he wouldn't have realised that, that that making salted caramel it can be a trick, you know, making caramel can be a tricky thing to do until you've got the measure of it, you know, until you really understand it. And also on an induction hob, when I was in the tent, I found those induction hobs. I've never used one before, you see, so I found it quite difficult. The the concept of you lift the pan off the hob to have a look at it or to just remove it from direct heat a second and, and then it goes off and it, it threw me completely. So he was struggling at first. The sugar wouldn't melt, would it, and, and, and everything. But he got there in the end. I thought, it, you know, eventually it poured out some perfect caramel. Um, so, yeah, it did, it did really well, ultimately, I thought. I, I also find one of the problems, and you could see them using those sort of non-stick pans, which to me 
don't always work very well with caramel. I think quite often you're better with a kind of steel pan that without that kind of non-stick coating, it just enables you to be able to see the colour more clearly. But also I think there's something about non-stick coating that sometimes just makes caramel making that bit bit more difficult. Yeah, I agree, absolutely. Because I, as anybody who watched my <laughs> yeah. show will know, I have a few issues with caramel in the tent on a number of occasions. Um, and Mary came up to me at one point and said, you know, just switch over to a steel pan because the non-stick pans are really difficult. Having said that, everybody else made brilliant caramel and I still failed spectacularly, but um, I've, I've only got steel pans at home and I'm, you'll have to take my word for this. I never have a problem even on an induction hob with a steel pan. But um, so. I think it's an interesting point you just mentioned there, Jane, about um, Mary giving you some advice because they're, they're not very forthcoming with advice with the real, you know, in the real Bake Off with, with us. But I thought that they were very helpful in the episode last night. Um, a few times, you know, they actually got, you know, Paul Paul took some greaseproof paper, didn't he? And and just basically was helpful and and yeah, it was great. Oh, I must just say while you're talking about helpful, Annika really helped Addie, didn't she? She yes. really was. Oh, yeah, you can tell that some of her mother motherliness, if that's a word, um, she just really stepped in and was very. Very kind and helpful. I thought it was lovely. It was good to see them all together. It's really lovely. Yeah, they were a lovely group. Um, and just before we move on to the judges' comments, I just wanted to ask: the four celebrities used a variety of techniques to fill their shoe. Do you three have a preferred way of filling the shoe? Would it is there a, a best way to do it? Would you say? Well, for me, it, obviously, it depends on the shape of the shoe bun because if it's like an eclair, you know, I slice it in half and and just pipe straight on or spoon it but to get a ball a shoe ball I've got one of those nozzles that's uh, I think one of them had that that's a little fine tube at the end that you pierce that you pierce through so you're not sure when it's full that's the only thing and just squeeze it's very satisfying that you know filling your ball (laughs) (laughs) you can get me drift (laughs) I I must admit I I always feel a bit bit kind of clumsy when I'm trying to fill shoe balls because it is quite tricky to be able to keep maintain the pressure on your on your piping bag. Uh, it's support. better to have somebody to hold the balls for you. It is. <laughs> I've got a photograph. I was once attempting to make a croc on bouche for a family boxing day party and I wanted to think it was 75 balls and I got my husband to hold the as I filled them, because obviously many hands make lighter work of filling the balls. Jane, have you got a preferred technique? No, not particularly. I'm like Karen. It depends on what I'm filling. So for an eclair, so for the legend class, I do caramel eclairs. You have to cut them open, put a layer of caramel and then pipe in or spoon in your cream. It's the only way you can do it. But I made some um, crackleland balls the other week and I wanted at the top to have caramel and underneath to have this cardamom cream filling. And I had to fill it from underneath. So to get the caramel in first and then get the cream. So it was the other way up when you turned it up. So it depends on the shape and what you want to do with it. And there's nothing wrong with cutting them in half and filling and scooping it in. Um, The the thing I've never done, because I've never, some of these very neat French ones, they and you'll see it a lot on the internet, people put three holes in the bottom of an eclair and pipe into three places in the bottom. That just seems all a bit of a faff to me. And I haven't got one of Karen's nozzles, but perhaps I ought to treat myself. Um, I never, I've never, i never done that. I like to know that my shoe were really well filled. So perhaps I ought to try that next time. Lovely. Thank you, you three. So... On to the judges' comments then. So Addy had a decent colour to his pastry. Prue said that the flavours were nice and Paul said the caramel was beautiful and said overall it was well-baked with nice flavours and a good job. Paul said that John's were some of the best shoe buns he'd seen for a long time, praise indeed, and that they were nicely baked and professional in appearance. But the creme pat was described by Paul and Prue as being stodgy and rubbery, as we've already said. 
Nadine shoe buns were a good size with a beautiful colour to her pastry. And while she ran out of time for the creme diplomat, she made a good creme patisserie instead with nice flavours overall. And Annika was praised for her painting and Prue said the shoe buns were delicious, but that the ginger didn't come through. And Paul mentioned that the pastry was a bit dark underneath, but tasted beautiful. And Annika finished by saying, thank God that's over as soon as the judges had walked away. Was that how you felt after your bakes had been tasted in the tent? Howard, do you want to go first? I I think there are times when you think, thank goodness that that is over. But actually, that, that's partly why you're doing it in the first place, to get the judges' comments. It's it's wonderful when you get positive comments. And if you don't get those positive comments, then you feel so deflated, particularly on the showstopper, when you've then got that kind of walk back from the front of the tent back to your bench. It is a bit bit kind of sad, that bit. But, but yeah, it's what, it's what you do it for, for the comments, isn't it? Thanks, Howard. Jane, what do you think to that? Did you feel that way of thank God it's over? I, yes, I, I think so. That you, you want to be judged. So you're sitting there, especially early stages of the competition where they're judging 12 or 10 people. And if you're last, it's this like, oh, my goodness me, hurry up and judge me now. And you can sit back and enjoy it after you've been judged if you've had good comments. It's just really nerve-wracking. You say, thank God it's over if you've done okay um, and you just want to go and hide and cry in a corner if you if you haven't. I remember doing Danish pastry and I really wasn't particularly happy with them, but I got really good comments and that was like, I can celebrate now and have a nice lunch. So, yeah, it, it's all good fun. It's all part of it, isn't it? Thanks, Jane. Karen, did you find that as well, that feeling of immense relief after your bakes had been judged? I, I, I did really. Well, I think I think I, I, what Jane said resonates with me a little bit, that the bakes that you know haven't gone, in my case anyway, it's <laughs> quite a number of my cakes, bakes didn't, didn't work quite as I'd hoped. And they were usually the signatures and always definitely the technicals. <laughs> really bad. So I was absolutely relieved to get any positives at all um they usually try to pep an odd one in don't they just to <laughs> just to give you a little bit of hope um, so yes it was great if you know that it's not really just right but the bakes that you are pleased with i was optimistic of of the the comments i was really i thought you know when i when i'd done something that i thought was all right i, I assumed that they would think it was too so i was elated and excited to and it was usually the showstoppers I like, you see, I'm a bit like that. I'm a bit showy. I like to carry up that showstopper up that aisle, you know, um, and my adrenaline would have been pumping then. So it, partly, but it was always good when it was over. And like Jane said, it was always better if you weren't waiting till last because that builds and builds and builds, doesn't it? You know, so, uh, so yeah, bits and bobs with that one. But it's a great thing, you know, whatever way. I mean, I've just loved it all, that. Oh, thank you all of you for sharing your experiences. That's that's really nice to hear. Okay, let's talk about the technical challenge. Oh, hello, it's Howard here. Now, if you fancy joining me for a spot of baking, I've got some very exciting classes coming up. On Sunday, the 11th of April, we're ready to roll with a delicious Austrian apple strudel. Definitely one to impress your friends and literally stretch your baking skills. We'll be rolling up our sleeves to tackle making paper-thin strudel dough, and then we'll roll this up around lightly spiced, juicy apples to make a crispy, classic dessert. It's the one they sing about in The Sound of Music. Well, not specifically my strudel, or your strudel, but you know what I mean. On Sunday, the 18th of April, it's back by popular demand. Hold on to your custard as I show you my infamous British trifle. Oh, and my English muffin and crumpet class has proved so popular, we've slotted in an extra day, Saturday the 17th of April. Well, hope to see you very soon. So next up was the technical challenge set by Prue this week, who warned them not to burn anything as they were asked to make 12 identical coffee and walnut financiers resembling a gold bar, which must be piped with a ribbon of coffee buttercream topped with crushed caramel and sprayed gold. And they were given just one hour and 15 minutes for the challenge. 
Jane, have you ever made financiers before? Yes, I have, but I've made more freons, which are very, very similar. You use a, a melted brown butter and egg whites and almondy, and they are absolutely delicious. Slightly chewy on the outside, so it's not like a sponge at all in that respect. Sort of much firmer on the outside, but lovely and soft and almondy, or in this case, walnutty in the middle. I've never done a walnut one. I've always used almonds. Um, they're absolutely delicious. If people haven't made them, they really ought to head to the Great British Bake Off website because the technical challenges will be there and they can make the walnut one if they want to and or substitute the walnuts for almonds if you haven't got walnuts. Um, yeah, well, well worth making. Absolutely delicious. A little bit of French heaven, I think. Oh, lovely. Thanks, Jane. Uh, Howard, what did you think of this as a technical challenge? Yeah, I thought it was a, a really nice technical challenge. I must admit, I'm not a great financier expert. I've, I've, I've done more freons and uh, madelines and things like that. Um, it was one of the things that I remember from actually going into the tent that you suddenly realise that you think that your baking knowledge is quite extensive. And then other people start talking about things like financiers and cannoli and things like that. And you think... I don't know what that is. So it's a wonderful kind of learning experience actually going into the tent and finding out what, what some of the things are that perhaps you've not tried before. Karen, you told me earlier that you've made a rhubarb financier recently. So do you want to talk to us a bit more about that? Yes, I will. I live, I live very close to the rhubarb triangle uh, in Yorkshire, which is where we sort of specialise in uh, producing early forced rhubarb in, in the forcing sheds. It's very sweet and pink. So I get quite excited. I, I, as well as anything, I love rhubarb. So when that comes out in the shops late January, beginning February, I'm always looking at ways to incorporate it. And I, it was a recipe I saw done on the telly, actually, using the rhubarb for financier. And they didn't use the rectangular ingot-shaped moulds. We used a, like a Dariel mould. But it was delicious. It was really lovely. And um, I gave some to my mum, and she actually rang me up to say, and this is very rare, compliments don't come my way from my mum very often <laughs> and uh, she was she thought it was absolutely one of the best bakes I've done in a long time financier yes it's an old bake it, it goes back to the 19th century by all accounts and it was popular in the finance area of Paris because the the small little rectangular cakes could be carried around without damaging them in a pocket apparently so they're like, and they resemble ingots, you know, if you were gold finance money. Uh, that's the whole sort of background to those. But yeah, the, the, it's a lovely bake. And I think it was Howard that said earlier on to us uh, when we were chatting about things that it's a, it's a great thing to use up any egg whites that you have left over. And it's got burn noisette. Now that translates to burnt butter. So it's basically you cook the butter in a pan until it starts to change colour a little bit and it gives it an extra nutty flavour, the noisette mean nut. So, yes, that's another little technique um, for anybody oh. trying them. Lovely. Thanks, Karen, for all that history. That's Ooh. great. We didn't know that. Yeah. There we go. So I'll ask you your thoughts in a moment, but I just want to sum up a few of the things that happened in this challenge because they all seem to have various wobbles in the tent. So John forgot to put his flour in and had to take them back out of the oven to remix. Annika ended up with different size cakes. Addy put all of his icing sugar in at once for his buttercream. And Nadine dropped some of her sponges on the floor as she was putting them in the fridge. So let's come to each of you for your thoughts on this challenge and how they all did in the tent. So... Karen, let's come to you first. Yes, well, I think actually overall the look of them looked fine. I, I mean, I wanted to. How did Paul actually know that there was not enough mixture in in John Bishop's cakes? Because they didn't look so flat to me that it would be shouting out to him. I don't know because he said, "Oh, there's not enough mixture in here." That's uh, how did he know? Piping, I thought they all piped okay, and the the caramel. That was it. The sprinkling caramel on the top of it as a decorative thing. So they'd got to make the caramel first again. Of course, Addy had done that for his shoe buns, so he got 
some experience under his belt already doing the caramel. Lucky for him. Yeah, I thought it, I thought they all they all did really well, and it's it's certainly something that I'd like to try that combination myself, maybe with a bit of coffee, the old coffee and walnut bit. I liked John Bishop's uh, comments at the end when he was trying to pipe them on top, and he just said, "Stand up is easier than piping." Yeah. Stand up is easier. Do you think it is? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So now I, I thought they did really well. Thanks, Karen. And Howard, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I thought they did a, um, a pretty good job. I, again, I, I think it's um, it's one of those things where you, you kind of guess, you know, what the order of, of ranking is going to be. And I think it was pretty clear that Nadine had had, had come bottom. I, th- I think it was a toss-up actually on the second and third between Addy and John. And uh, Annika clearly had uh, had come out on top. But um, but yeah, a, a brilliant job by, by everybody, really. Thanks, Howard and Jane. Any thoughts from you? You said at the beginning they all had a bit of a rocky patch. Well, did you see John leaning on the fridge? My goodness me, that fridge was rocking backwards and forwards. I thought, that's a hell of a hazard in the tent. It was very uneven. <laughs> so much so that I actually wrote it down. Um, and, and they were putting vinegar in the buttercream. Did anybody notice vinegar? that? They said, putting vinegar in the buttercream. I never put vinegar. Does anybody else? No, no. What's that for? <laughs> it was white, white vinegar, wasn't it? I didn't imagine it, did I? I have never put vinegar in the buttercream. So as soon as that recipe is out... we are looking at that one, Jane, aren't we? Yes. I'm going to have a look and see where they put the vinegar. Sweet and sour buttercream. I've never seen that. So I'd be interested to know. Whose recipe was it? Um, Prue's. So, yeah, there's a a weird one. But overall, as as the other two have just said, I I thought they did a great job. And, in fact, I think when Annika was told she was first, Paul said, best of a good bunch. Mm. Um, So, yeah, they did. For for beginner bakers, I'm not sure Annika's as beginner as the others, but for beginner bakers, they have done really, really well. well. Apparently, a little vinegar added to buttercream avoids cracks and helps it achieve a smooth appearance. So, oh, is that the same that. principle as adding a little bit of lemon juice to your rough puff then? That helps it, it helps the Possibly. stretchiness. That's, that mm. stretches the gluten, doesn't it? So, yeah. Mm. Oh, interesting. Thank you, all of you. So when it came to the judging, Paul walked into the tent and immediately started laughing when he saw the bakes on the table. And I suppose as bakers, if that happens, it must be quite unnerving. And the celebrities definitely looked a little bit uncertain. Nadine was missing some of hers due to dropping them on the floor and the cakes were a bit raw inside. John's weren't identical in size, but tasted okay. Addie's also varied in size and the cake was nice, but it had icing spooned over it rather than piped buttercream. And Annika's were uniform with a pleasant and moist sponge, but the caramel was burnt and too thick. So it was a little bit of a mix. The judges put Nadine in fourth, Addie came in third, John was second and Annika was first in this challenge. So we always like to guess the order each week. Howard, Jane, Karen, did you guess the order this week and did you get it right? Howard, I'm going to ask you first. No, I didn't quite get it right. I thought John had come in third place. So I, I, I thought Nadine was bottom. But yeah, I thought I thought John initially was going to be third and Addy uh, and then Annika. So um, so I must admit, I, um, I don't know why I'm admitting that, because nobody would know. I could say, oh, yes, I get it right every week. Yes, not much to call between the, them a bit, but, yeah, I'm happy to say that I predicted that correctly. Yes. Well, well done. Thanks, Karen. And Jane, how about you? Oh, God, I sound like a real smarty pants, <laughs> don't I? I did actually get it right, and, and it was very close between Addie and John. But I wrote down the comment that says, looks nicest overall was Paul's comment. And that kind of gave it away, really. Paul thinks, Paul's obviously a John Bishop fan, I found. Um, I'm not sure. You know, we're always talking about favouritism in the tent. We're not. But, you know, social media are always saying, oh, Paul fancies so-and-so, and that's why they got through. Or, um, I think Paul fancies John. I think he does. I think there's a little bit of favouritism there. Thank you, all of you. 
Hello everyone, it's Jane here. I hope you're loving the Bake Down podcast for Celebrity Stand Up to Cancer as much as we are. It's such fun. I just thought I'd let you know I have space on one or two classes coming up. Rum Bar Bars on the 11th of April, a perennial favourite and absolutely delicious. And then who said I couldn't make caramel? I've got an extended showstopper caramel cake class on the 18th of April and on the 1st of May. And then donuts who doesn't love a donut and that's on the 9th of may so if you'd like to bake any of those do join me so on to the final showstopper of the series then where the celebrities were asked to make a spectacular chocolate cake that represents something from your bucket list once decorated they were given three and a half hours for the challenge and paul and prue said the cake should be light and moist and most of all it should be full of chocolatey flavor So, Howard, Jane and Karen, you know what's coming. What is at the top of your bucket list and what would you have made for this challenge? Jane, can we come to you first? Well, the one thing I actually be fascinated with ever since I was at school is Egypt. And I would love to go to Egypt. And I really think in another life I would have been an archaeologist and I would have discovered, oh, Nefertiti or something in ancient Egypt. So if I was being sensible, knowing how you always run out of time in the tent, I would make a pyramid and, and a scene. And if I was not being sensible, which probably is what I would have gone for, I would have made either a sphinx or a Tutankhamun's head, which would have been ridiculous because it would have failed miserably. So I'd be much better off with a, a pyramid but yes, it would be something Egypt because I love to go to Egypt. I love to go behind the scenes and not go with all the tourists on the trips. I, I want to go into all those places as long as there are no snakes because I don't like snakes. Um, but but whenever there's something about Egypt on the telly, I always watch that. So for me, it would have been something Egypt and hopefully sensibly designed. So I'd have got it done at the time. Lovely. Thanks, Jane. And Howard, what about you? What's at the top of your bucket list and what would you have done for this challenge? So it's something that was on my bucket list that I tried to cross off my bucket list a few years ago, and that was to see the Northern Lights and uh, went to Reykjavik uh, with Peter and fabulous, fabulous week we had there. And we went out on a boat one night see the northern lights we had a choice between going out on a boat or going up into the hills on a bus and we chose to go out on a boat and saw virtually nothing so a little bit of a kind of green splodge in in one corner and people on the boat were getting so excited about the fact that there was this little bit of green splodge and I'm thinking that's not what Joanna Lumley saw when she went to see the northern lights so um so yes I'd like to have another go what added insult to injury was the fact that the people who'd been on the bus apparently got the most spectacular view of the Northern Lights up in the hills that night. So I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to translate this into cake form, but um, Northern Lights would be top of my bucket list. Oh, lovely. Thanks, Howard. Karen, what's on your bucket list and what would you have gone for in this bake? Right, well, my bucket list for this this challenge would have been quite an, quite um, a doable one, really. And, and after the pandemic's over, perhaps I'll, I'll get around to it fairly fairly sharpish. I've always wanted to travel across Europe, down through Italy, and then across from Brindisi, I think it is, into northern Greece getting into Greece that way. I'm not terribly fond of flying. I, I do fly, but I prefer to travel more slowly and use a caravan or a motorhome. That's my thing. So the idea, and it's just to, to go, obviously, to get to northern Italy, over the mountain, down Lake Garda, you could make a, a really great bake of obviously the shape of Italy with some of the key points that you travel through and then the ferry across into northern uh, northern Greece and, and some of the beautiful things that are, I've got sort of pencilled in that I'd like to see there. I'm quite fond of Greece. I, I did spend a year of my life working out there. So I'm, I'm keen to get back, but like a slow, slow trip. So I think that would make a good cake. Mm. Looking down, like looking down from above 
of the shapes of, of the of the boots and everything. So yeah, quite doable, I think. That sounds amazing. Yes, yeah, sort of leaning chair of pizza. Yeah, right? you know the, the, those things, bits and bobs and, and what have you. The lakes, the, the Lake Gar, the Lake Como, da 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 down. Yeah, nice one. Thank you. Some great bucket list decisions there. Lovely. Thank you, you three. So aside from various KitchenAid related incidents in this challenge, the celebrities seem to have a more successful round this time. With Addy planning to make a chocolate orange basketball stadium with a chocolate orange ganache, fondant basketball court and edible crowd effect balls. John told us how he wanted to beat his friend at tennis and decided to make a tennis court scene with raspberry jam and chocolate ganache and finished with fondant figures playing tennis. Nadine also decided upon chocolate orange flavours, but she added some hazelnut flavours to her filling as she recreated a scene inspired by a boat trip to Venice, complete with blue-coloured orange liqueur buttercream and a blue and green Smarty Surprise centre to represent the canals and topped it with an edible fondant gondola. And Annika was feeling ambitious as she chose to create an adventurous scene from the Swiss Alps, with a marshmallow crispy helicopter suspended over her white chocolate buttercream topped Alps with a jam centre and a fondant Annika dangling from the helicopter. So, bakers, what did you all think of their bakes? Jane, shall I come to you first? I think... To have turned out a good representation of their bucket lists was quite hard. Annika's especially being 3D and Addie's actually. I thought the idea of, of carving out that cake to make a basketball stadium and then getting it cooled. It's always getting it cooled so you can decorate, isn't it? All, every time because they needed so many cakes. I think they did a pretty good job, uh, all of them. Nadine's I would have struggled although it was pretty you needed to explain to me that the blue and green smarties were supposed to be representative of the water as it flowed out once that perhaps was being a bit thick but once that was explained to me I thought oh yeah that's quite clever but I wouldn't have known what she was aiming at just by looking at the cake I know she she wasn't very happy with her gondola but as pretty as it was and I thought the colours were gorgeous I, I, I struggled to see that was Venice for me. But every the other three, I thought, achieved their goal with greater or lesser success, but you could see where they were all heading. Um, so, but, but overall, I thought they all did a very, very good job. But we must remember that these people don't bake. Thanks, Jane. Karen, what were your thoughts? I thought they all did really well. Um they're not bakers are they and they, they they've obviously given a lot of thought to if they haven't practiced it which we don't, we don't know but if they haven't practiced it they've certainly given a lot of thought to how they were going to try to get the effect that they were they were aiming for uh, I, I remember john that he made me laugh when he was flopping the two pieces of cake together and they said something like oh you know you've got a good cake when it goes <laughs> 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 flopping sort of noise oh I smiled at that varying degrees of success in terms of what I thought the overall look of the cake was because none of us get the opportunity to taste it I think I, I'm with Jane with the Venice if I would have done that cake I would have I mean nobody likes blue eating blue sweet things do they not really but I would have given a bit bit more a bit more color in in, in the frosting what else could you do you could have put big Bigger ice cream, a real ice cream cone, couldn't you, on top or something, you know. I love the the the, the beads inside, the chocolate beads were, were great. Um, the stadium, I thought, yeah, it, it wasn't finished, was it? It wasn't finished, but I thought he carved the shape of it, really, and the depth of it. It looked like it was a stadium half built, which is great. John's tennis, it was a very thin court, tennis court, wasn't it? <laughs> and the people were laying down. <laughs> and of course I've left Annika's till, till last because I thought she did tremendous I thought it was absolutely any any baker in the regular series that took that up as a showstopper you know would, should have been proud to, to, to present that um, it was very detailed I loved that one and that helicopter you know I think yeah but overall I, th- I really enjoyed that that round oh thanks Karen Howard what were your thoughts on the bakers in this challenge 
Yeah, as uh, Jane and Karen have said, I think they all did a, a really good job. Really, really ambitious, I thought, uh, about uh, what they could achieve. And Annika in particular, mm-hmm. the idea of doing something with so many kind of 3D elements is definitely something that if you're not familiar with um, with kind of modelling or anything like that, it is a tricky thing to, to master. So I think... I think generally they all did a great job, but Annika's really stood out for me. Yeah, I would agree, actually. Sorry, I I didn't, I was going to rave about Annika, but she was exceptional, wasn't she? Great. Thank you, three. So for the results, Annika was up first. The judges said it looked very effective and was very detailed. Prue said the raspberry jam in the middle was absolutely lovely. The sponge was well-baked and the buttercream was nice. But she didn't get enough of that chocolatey taste that they were looking for. And Paul agreed that there was no punch of chocolate, but that she did a great job. John was next and Prue thought his tennis scene looked hilarious and Paul remarked that he liked the thin layer of fondant that John had used and Prue said his raspberry jam was excellent with a terrific design overall but again both Paul and Prue said the sponge wasn't chocolatey enough and that the texture was a bit claggy which John agreed with. Prue said that Addy's basketball stadium was a very clever and simple but effective design, but that the sponge was a little bit dry, to which Paul suggested it was slightly overbaked. Again, there wasn't a huge hit of chocolate here that the judges were looking for. And finally, Nadine, her showstopper looked a little bit messy and Paul started by saying she had a problem, but then finished the sentence by saying that lots of people would be asking her to make it for them. He and Prue both said that the cake was beautiful, the orange flavour came through nicely, the buttercream was delicious and the texture of the cake was great. So one of the key pitfalls for all of the bakers, I would say, in this challenge was that not getting that chocolate flavour. So I wanted to come to each of you to ask what your advice would be, what your approach would be for creating the perfect chocolatey chocolate cake. Karen, can I come to you for this one first? What would you use to make your cakes really chocolatey? A lot of chocolate. I'd use a lot of chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) When I was in the in the tent, the cake week was a chocolate cake. It was a chocolate cake, double decker. Had to have a chocolate collar and all that business. But I nearly, I think, I nearly got a handshake. I was convinced I was getting one because he was saying all the right things in the judging. But, you know, it was hovering. Um, but the chocolate cake I use, top of my head, I, I put a lot of cocoa in it and also some melted down dark chocolate, lots of that, and some coffee. I always put some coffee in, in into chocolate cake, and it doesn't taste like coffee cake, but it enhances the whole flavour taste thing. I love doing that. And I think I put some... I think to stop the dryness, because you're terrified of getting a dry bake in the tent, aren't you? We know even Ruby's, in my year, Ruby's biscuits were dry. I remember she was indignant. Well, aren't they meant to be dry biscuits, you know? <laughs> so I think I put some dairy, some yoghurt, or buttermilk or something into the mixture as well for good measure. And it came out great. So that's it. Plenty of coke. Don't stint. You could see those bakes were pale. Before anybody said anything when I was viewing, I thought they're going to say there's not enough chocolate flavour. So, yeah, that's me. Howard, what about you? What are your suggestions for getting that perfect chocolatey cake? Do you know, I would echo Karen exactly. I remember in the first week on, on Bake Off, our showstopper was chocolate cake. And I think Paul said that, Paul and Mary said that it was very very chocolatey but you couldn't eat a lot of it because sometimes chocolate cake can be so rich that that you do end up with a very intense flavor and you only want a small portion of it um so yeah exactly the same little bit of instant espresso coffee powder just brings out that coffee flavor i also put a little bit of salt in there as well because i Mm -hmm. think a pinch of salt also helps improve the uh, the chocolate flavour as well. Yes, good. Uh, and then I put yogurt to offset the kind of dryness of it. Cocoa powder, obviously. Great, thank you, Howard. And Jane, what about you? What makes the perfect chocolate cake recipe? The co-op, actually. <laughs> a friend of mine said the, the co-op down the road make the best chocolate cake ever. I'm, I'm not a great chocolate cake fan, I have to admit, but. 
I would echo exactly what the other two have said. You know, you can almost put as much cocoa powder in as you want and you're still not getting a total chocolate flavour. You have to put melted chocolate in as well to get that richness. Coffee always, enough coffee to enhance the flavour, but not so that you're tasting coffee. I don't put yoghurt in mine or sour cream or buttermilk in mine, but I always make an oil-based cake because I find the oil-based cake stays more moist, a bit like when you're making a carrot cake, instead of using butter, you use oil, and I find that helps. But to be honest, I don't make chocolate cake very often. I'll do a vanilla sponge with a good chocolate filling and a chocolate icing, but I don't like chocolate cake. I don't like chocolate-covered biscuits either. So I love chocolate, but I just... So I don't make chocolate cake very often unless somebody particularly asks for it. But I remember Paul saying... In one of the series a couple of years back that you've got to put chocolate in the chocolate cake. So I think anybody who's thinking of entering Bake Off, if you have to make a chocolate cake at any time, always make sure it's a recipe with chocolate added. Because Paul, even if it tastes amazing, because he knows you haven't put chocolate in it, he would instantly not like it. Just as a a little tip, always make sure you put some melted chocolate in. Are you you implying, Jane, that Paul's got to be right all the time? I find that's quite surprising. (laughs) I don't think I'm implying it, Paul. I think I'm actually saying that's what has to happen. Thank you all of you for those comments. There's some great baking tips there as well, so I'll definitely be giving some of those a try. When it came to the final summary with Paul, Prue and Matt, Paul said that John and Annika had been neck and neck before the showstopper, but that John slipped down in the final round due to his cake texture, but mentioned that the design was great and very witty, which makes sense as John's a comedian. The judges said Nadine pulled a blinder in the challenge and caught up with Annika, who had a great design in the final challenge, and the flavours were nice when the sponge and buttercream were combined. And whilst Addy did well in the showstopper, it wasn't quite enough to put him in running for star baker. So, bakers, any final comments on the judges' feedback before we discuss the winner? Do any of you have anything else you'd like to add before we move on to Yes, I do. I was actually really cross. I'm almost going to rival Howard for his hump this week. I don't know whether it was the editing or what. But if I was Annika, I would have taken that up to the front. And in fact, I was expecting them to say, wow, that really is a fantastic showstopper. Because it was spectacular, wasn't it? There were all those figures that had been painted on. She had got so many different elements. I, I really thought it was a showstopper to rival any showstopper. She did a great job, and I would have been thrilled to bits if I'd been able to create something like that. And she brought us up to the front, and they were like, oh, yeah, that looks all right. And I thought the comments were so underwhelming. I was very, very sad for her. Now, whether they had raved about it and they cut those bits out so that we're all... It's making it seem as though it's a bit of a closer finish. I don't know. But I, I could have seen the comment as being, wow, that looks fantastic. Let's see if it tastes as good as it looks. But no, they were all just sort of, yeah, whatever. It looks all right. And I, I, I was so cross about that. And then John brings his up, which looks good. And they're raving about it. The design's terrific. It looks fantastic. All this sort of stuff. You know, <laughs> He looked all right. He did a great job. But, you know, his, he got flat tennis players, but that was absolutely fine. <laughs> but I just I just thought the judging was seemed to be particularly unfair and biased against Annika. And I was quite cross about it. And I don't very often get cross. <laughs> but I thought as it's the last one in the series, I could ride Howard for his one. You know, <laughs> I very cross because she did a great job. I think Jane said it all. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what can you add to that? I think um, oh, guys. <laughs> Annika's, Annika's design was fabulous, fabulous. It's like they didn't notice. Who <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, is that? The helicopter. Oh, it was a helicopter. Oh, is that supposed to be you? Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Annika. Yeah. 
Hello everyone, it's Dan here, and I'm very excited to tell you that I still have a couple of showstopper classes coming up for Agato St. Honoré, a fiendishly difficult patisserie, and if you would like me to show you how to make that, check out my classes towards the end of April and May. I hope to see some of you there. On to our winner then, and Annika showed her adventurous side in the tent and powered her way to Star Baker with delicious shoe buns, coming first in the technical and creating a delightful snowy scene for her showstopper and not forgetting her spectacular portrait of Paul in the signature, Annika was a worthy winner this week. I think I know the answer to this question, but were we all in agreement with Annika as the winner? Jane, I know you are, but have you any further comments on Annika? (laughs) <laughs> what makes you think that I think Annika ought to win? <laughs> no, brilliant. Had it been anything else, I, I might have written a letter to the production company or channel four. Um, no, I thought it had to be Annika, didn't it? Uh, she was fantastic and I love her even more than I did before. She was, she was brilliant. Thank you, Jane. Howard, any comments from you on Annika winning? No, I thought I thought she was wonderful. Right from that very opening bit where she's running into the tent, I thought the fact that she kind of slightly parodied herself, but did it with such kind of grace and humour, and she just absolutely embraced the whole Bake Off experience. So she'd put thought into it and time and effort and uh, a well-deserved winner. Thanks, Howard. Karen, any comments from you on our lovely Annika? Annika. She, she she brought her artistic flair right the way through all the bakes and and, and that's part of part of being on the bake off often is, is is that's what clinches it and you know she was completely the right winner um you know I sort of felt it right from the off um that she was going to be deserving because of her energy and, and general sort of wholesomeness and how she helped and, and and produced amazing stuff so yeah well deserved absolutely. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. let's move on to Howard's final hump. Howard, your final hump of the season, what's it going to be? Yes. So last week I gave Paul a bit of a break and I'm going to give him a break this week. Actually, you know, I don't think I've ever had a hump with Prue before, but this is, but I've, I've got a hump with Prue. So she was describing the kind of pitfalls of going into the showstopper about how messy it was likely to get. And she said it's all the problem of amateurs trying to do something with the clock ticking all the time. And I thought, do you know what that is, Prue? It's called the Great British Bake Off. Because if you want professionals, basically, you're on the wrong show. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. I completely agree with you on that, Howard. I I noticed that. And my thought went, ping, you know, you can't go on the show if you're a professional. You've got to be a home baker. Yeah, we're not even allowed to have had a real class, are we? Because I remember coming, being ripped apart on social media for because he had a friend who was a chef that may have advised him on a creme brulee. It was outrage, headlines in the red tops. Um, So, yeah. Well done. Good hump, Howard. Good hump. Definitely a good hump. And that brings us to the end of this special celebrity series of the Great British Bake Off for Stand Up to Cancer. We've seen Hollywood stars, comedians, gold medalists, musicians and TV stars all roll up their sleeves to take on the tent. And we've enjoyed every second of it. Howard, Jane, Karen, and not forgetting our other special guests, Rosie, Dan and Ian, it's been such a joy to record this podcast with you these past five weeks. Have any of you any final thoughts or comments on this series, any favourite moments you'd like to mention? 
Well, I've just loved seeing all the other bakers. You know, after lockdown, it even though, you know, it's only on a screen, we've chatted away as though we're old mates. And I've, of course, the series has been fantastic, but I've loved seeing you guys most of all. Oh, yeah, that's been superb. Lovely. Oh, I'd agree with that, Jane. I think it's also wonderful to be able to have a little view back in the tent again. I can't wait until... Um, we get into summer and the new series. Really looking forward to that. Me too. Thanks, Howard. Any final thoughts from you, Karen? Just, I've, I've really enjoyed the series. I think there's been some lovely personalities and some, some, you know, some almost professional baking standards as well. Some of some of the weeks, um, I've just enjoyed it so much. And it's, it's obviously for a great cause, and uh, we encourage everybody to dig deep for that. But it just is a little taster of the summer when we can look forward to the the next series of the bake-off to start definitely karen it's been that little bit of sweetness that we've all needed during this time and it's been uh, it's been lovely to do and of course a huge thank you to you our podcast listener for joining us each week as we debriefed on the celebrities antics and discussed their bakes and paul hollywood's charms if you'd like to join us for one of our Bake with a Legend classes, please do check out our website, bakewithalegend.com. And don't forget that you can get 10% off any class booking by using the promo code PODCAST. Thank you for joining us and we hope to see you at a class very soon. You just heard a stripped media production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.